class prayer this morning, and that will be given by Chris Taylor. Okay, Chris? All right. Thank you, Sandy. I was uh, excited that we returned to the prayer today, um, as I've been scheduled for a long time to give it. And it's a special day in our household because 11 years ago, our granddaughter Alina was born, and that was also on Mother's Day. So she turned our daughter Heather into a mother 11 years ago on Mother's Day. So I've been receiving lots of texts and videos of gift opening and happiness. So just wanted to share that. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we gather with gratitude and thoughtfulness this morning. We are grateful for this beautiful spring day and for the fellowship we experience even as we are apart one from the other. Lord, today is the day that we set aside each year to celebrate mothers. Mother's Day is the day where spring sunshine, flowers, phone calls, picnics, and brunch mark the joyful experiences of motherhood. But there are hurts too. Because we love our children so intensely, we suffer with their setbacks, their illnesses, and sometimes even their untimely deaths. Lord, comfort all mothers today. May this be a day of healing and a day to remember the best of times, the times of laughter and silliness, the times when they achieved and reached special milestones, and a time to give thanks for the days we have been granted with them and with their own precious children. Lord, as you know, this Mother's Day is very different. As we sit in quarantine amidst a deadly pandemic, we are acutely aware of our blessings and the sacrifices of others. We are grateful for our homes and gardens, our <clears throat> safe and lovely retreats during this time of isolation. We compare this to the crowded poverty that so many must endure. We are aware of those who must work in unsafe conditions to provide for their families and for us. Let us remember the field hands, the meat packers, medical personnel, postal workers, trash collectors, store clerks, and so many others. As they toil to make sure we have what we need, make us mindful of their sacrifices. Inspire us to find ways to serve and protect those who serve and protect us. We ask that your comforting love touch Donna Johnson and Peggy McNay after the loss of their husbands. And may your healing ways help Bab Skilling, Patricia McCormick, Dick Anthony, the Coonies, Tom Cantrell, Shirley May, and Ron Fox. Impart your strength to each of them and those that love them most dearly. Lord, we will listen for your words through Melissa's lesson today. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your message. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Chris. We are very fortunate today to have our resident newlywed, Melissa Kine Hall, as our speaker. So, Melissa, you, if you would like, I'm give, you have the floor. All right. Can y'all hear me? I am so glad to be with you today and to see all your faces. I hope that all the moms are having a wonderful Mother's Day. And, um, you know, it's a little bit different. I texted my mom early this morning and let her know that I was thinking of her. But, you know, we're going to spend the day apart because, well, because of COVID-19. But today, I'm just excited to share with you some of the things that have been on my heart as we've gone through this time and um there's been a lot of focus on what we're missing during this time but i've also started to look at what opportunities are being kind of laid before us you know scripture teaches us that god is working through all things 
to bring about good. And um, I feel like there's a lot of good that can come through this. Um, and so I am going to try and put together a PowerPoint so you can kind of follow along. And I hope that maybe this will um, just help you think today about how maybe the early church can teach us some lessons or inform us today um, as we go through this time and look toward the future. So I'm going to go down here and share my screen. And so the title of the lesson is Start Something New, Thoughts of Sharing the Good News Today. And I love this picture because there's this huge long table um, with all these people gathered around it in community and having a meal and sharing. And you may notice that there's like bread here at the very front. And it made me think about not just sharing a meal with people, but even sharing coming around Christ's table and sharing communion. And um, just a really beautiful picture probably something I'm personally missing right now because I'm a very, I'm an extrovert, if y'all didn't know that. <laughs> and um, I love people. And so this to me just speaks of like where I'm longing to be. Um, but first, I have a little bit of fun news in case you didn't know. I think most of you do. But I did get married on April 3rd. And we got married at the Outdoor Chapel at Northbrook UMC. And Blair and Will Zant came up from Decatur and they married us out there. They are a clergy couple that's a good friend of ours. And we just are very excited about this. And we'll plan a larger, um, more public celebration sometime in the future. But I thought I'd share a few pictures. It was a lovely day and we really have enjoyed just spending this time together. It's not exactly what we planned for sure, <laughs> but still. I wanted to open this morning with a prayer that I have been praying a lot during this time. Um, I talk a lot about community and what it is to build relationships. And I've seen this as a time of people kind of beginning to reconnect in those ways. I laugh when I walk through my neighborhood every day, all of a sudden all the kids are out playing, riding their bikes. And I laughed the other day, I said, you know, sometimes, Six months ago, parents wouldn't hardly let their kids out the door by themselves or wouldn't let them, they didn't have time to go out and play like that. And that's what they're doing. It's something new to them. Um, and I see families kind of gathering, you know, apart, but together on the sidewalk to have conversation. Whereas in the past, you didn't see a lot of families out necessarily in the neighborhood. So I see the beauty of God's community being brought together. So I wanted to pray this with us this morning as we get started. Lord, bring us together. Start something fresh and anew for your glory right here in our neighborhood, on our streets. Knit us together. Remind us of the value of community. Amen. So our scripture today comes from Acts 2 verses 42 through 47. And I've been reading through the book of Acts. Um, really kind of throughout this entire time, because I began to think about what was it like for the early church, and how does the kind of the situation of today kind of remind us of maybe the early church. So this is from the second chapter. It's right after Pentecost, after all those tongues of fire, and the church has started together. 
And it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate, with, ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And as I've read through this several times over the past few weeks, a few words have really begun to jump out at me. Oops, let me go back. The first are the four marks of a Christian community, the things they devoted themselves to. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. But then there are some effects of that, of that work. Um, all came upon everyone. Everyone who saw them was in all. They were together. They broke their bread together. They shared these meals, not just within their family group, but with their extended community. And they had the goodwill of all the people. And then something else that jumped out at me that's not highlighted is that the Lord added to their number. It wasn't what the people were doing. It was the Lord working that added to their number each day. And I think that that's really important for us because I think sometimes we can get caught up in thinking we're doing that work, but it's God working through us and allowing people to see what is happening in our lives and how we live our lives that is bringing them to God. So to talk a little bit more closely about the four things for a Christian community, there was the apostles' teaching. This is the only place that this phrase is used in the book of Acts, which I find a little fascinating. I think anytime something's used one time, I kind of take note of that because it's important to that particular situation. Most likely, it was Peter's sermons that provided that content. Um, but the people were making an active effort to explore the teachings of Christ and how they applied to their lives. And today, that's the same for us. We are called to do this active exploration of scripture and its application. We're called to dwell with the scriptures. Um, and I think dwelling with the scriptures is sometimes it's a little different than us just maybe reading a verse or us just listening at church. But dwell in something, sit with it. And so together we're called to sit with the words of Scripture. Also, they were devoted to fellowship, to building relationships, to intentional hospitality, and to making people feel at home. They didn't just point them and say, to a place and say, oh yeah, you can be over there, but they wanted them to feel a part of the family, to build that relationship, to have a conversation, to get to know them. And they broke bread, and that wasn't just the Eucharist, where we gather around Christ's table, but it was those common meals. When I think about that, I think about um, growing up, my church used to have the potluck Sunday meal after church. Some of you have probably been to those. And um, that was, for me as a child, that was a highlight. When it was a Sunday covered dish dinner at church, I was so excited because that meant I was going to get to really kind of talk with the people that we went to church with. And if you know me, you know I like to talk. So that is not 
something new. It's been around all my life. But that conversation fed me. And those relationships at the table fed me. And then prayers. Prayers are part of the worship. And they're an opportunity for us individually to have communion with God. But the early church really concentrated on learning a set of prayers. The Lord's Prayer and certain prayers that were particular for different situations. And I was reading in a book and it said they prayed them intentionally and with energy. What does it mean to pray with energy? I think sometimes we tend to pray kind of in this kind of quiet tone, but they were fervent in their prayers. Um, and so that was one of the marks of the early church. In that church, in the early church, men and women, they were known as the people of the way. Now, it's unclear as to whether or not Peter kind of gave them that name so that they had a name like Methodist or Baptist, or if it was the people outside of the group that gave them that name. Um, everything they did, it was a response to the Holy Spirit. If they felt that the Holy Spirit was leading them in a particular way, they were focused on responding to it. And that shifted. It shifted how they lived, how they viewed ownership, and it even shifted how they dined. They didn't dine in their individual homes, but they were together. And then you read that and you kind of get the sense that they were together a lot of the time. They were in the temple. They were dining together at home. They were spending their days doing life in the community. And what happened? Other people noticed. And they were inspired by that radical and hopeful change in their lives. People began to look and go, something is different about the way that they are conducting their lives. And even if they didn't become a part of that group, they had the favor of those people who were watching. So what does that mean for us today? Well, we are called, of course, to be the church. The church isn't a building. We know that from the time we are little and we learn that little rhyme, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors and see the people. The people are really the church. There's a hymn, and many of you probably know it, that reminds us of what scripture teaches us. It says, I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together, all who follow Jesus all around the world. Yes, we're the church together. I love that song. Um, my kids used to laugh at me because I was at a small church in Griffin and almost every Sunday I would make them sing that song. And my kids would be like, why do we have to sing that song again? <laughs> but we're called to live our lives in response to what Christ has done and will do. And that's all the time. I mean, right now we're called to live our lives in response to what Christ is doing. We're called to be a spirit-led community that embodies Christ in the present moment. And when we live into these calls, that inspires all and wonders in others. It points them to Christ and to the good news. So I put some pictures up here, and I wanted you to take a moment to look at them. And we talked about the four marks of the church, of prayer and fellowship and breaking bread and the apostles' teaching. And if you look at these pictures, I want you to think about where do you see church? And there's a lot of, there's lots of different pictures. Um, the one, you can't see, of course, but the one um, with the people sitting in the street, that's a picture from when I was in Brazil. And down at the bottom, the turquoise building, that is a picture of me in the Bahamas. And the little girl with the guitar, that's over at Roswell Creek. But here's some places that I identified as helping us understand that church can really happen anywhere. 
In these two, you see the apostles teaching. You see word through the confirmation, and you see it being done through deed and sign by the packing of meals. And that's one of our um, uh, feed the hungry packings. And then we have, well, is it going to work? Fellowship. In both of these pictures, the one at the top, that's a street church in Recife, Brazil, that was done in a park where lots of people lived that were homeless. And we would gather there once a week with that community and have worship, pray, and have music. And at the bottom, that's at Roswell Creek, where we were worshiping together with some children after playing with them on the playground. There's the breaking of bread. That was a church I served over in Ellenwood, Georgia, and they decided that they were going to stop having their meals together inside the church and have them outside the church so as to invite the neighborhoods that surrounded the church to come and dine with us. And then there's being devoted to prayer. And, you know, it doesn't matter where we are, that is essential to pray. One, you know, I'm praying with children in the Bahamas, and then the other, that was an Easter egg hunt or an Easter celebration at a church that I served in Griffin, Georgia, that didn't have any children, but they decided to have an Easter egg hunt on Easter Sunday morning and to invite the neighborhood children to come and hear the story of Jesus. And that was um, one of the ladies there teaching the story of Christ's resurrection to one of the neighborhood children who, honestly, that family lived in a situation that was not appropriate probably for anyone. They lived in a single wide trailer that was, had some windows that were busted out and it was a really bad situation, but that church shared love with them. So like I said, church can happen anywhere because church is happening right here. We're all in our separate houses, but we're at church because we're with each other. In the early, early church, the Holy Spirit reached out to the not yet Christians and to form disciples of Jesus where they already shared life. It, didn't wait for people to come into a particular place, but instead it, the Holy Spirit goes out to where people are gathering, whether it's at a park or in their homes or at a coffee shop and is making disciples. And God is always making all things new. Now, we have an affection for brand new, newness. We like new things. This morning I opened some gifts and they're brand new things and I'm excited about them. But God is different. God takes the existing material and begins to rework it. You may remember in the Old Testament, there's this passage where it talks about going down to the potter's house. And there is the potter sitting at the wheel with the clay. And the potter is reshaping what was already marred and making something new and beautiful out of it. And that's the work that God is doing in creation and in the church and in the world is making something new each and every day. And in those pictures, like I said, those were all examples of church, of Christ-centered communities who gathered around the resurrected Christ and from which they would go out and share the good news of Christ. And that's what church is, is where we gather around the good news of Jesus, but then we also remember that we are to go and share it. So in the video, it gives us some things to ponder. And I think it cut off the very front of the video. At the very beginning, the older man actually sits on the bench and he comes to that bench one day and the bench is full. He has no place to sit, which sends him to the store to go buy the chair that becomes the catalyst for him to go out and to 
see the world because he realizes it gives him the mobility to go out and build relationships. So I've been reading um, this book called From Tablet to Table by Leonard Sweet. And in the book, he wrote that the church can set a table, or I even thought a chair, for anyone anywhere because the church is not a building but a body of relationships around a table headed up and hosted by Christ. And then it told a story about a bishop named Kenneth Delaney, who is the senior pastor at a church in Philadelphia, that reminds, who reminds us that the first worshiping unit was not a large gathering in a large building, but a family in a home. Every day the bishop conducts communion at his house, complete with a full meal in his home for whoever shows up. And I love that because he is being church in his home. And so I began to think about, well, where do we start? Well, the best place to always start is to look to Jesus and how Jesus shared his life. Jesus walked alongside people. He didn't win them over by standing against them or arguing with them, but by inviting them to relationship. Just like that man began to invite people into relationship and it transformed him and them. Jesus was flexible. He didn't need things to be a certain way or things to be in a certain place. He went to where people were. Jesus was hospitable. He invited complete strangers to eat with him and treated them like the honored guest and like family members. And Jesus showed concrete examples of love. He washed the feet of people. He talked with them. He fed them and he healed them. And Jesus called forth the church in the world and sent the church to the world. And Jesus invites us to come to him and go to share him with others. We are a church of, that's called to come and to go. Because as Christians, we are both a minister and a missionary. In some churches, you may have seen it on the bulletin that it says that the pastors are those who are um, there to equip and lead the people, but the body, the congregation is the ministers or are the ministers of the church. We have a responsibility to ministry to our gathered community and to the body of Christ. And then to, we have a mission to the world to go out. So there's two critical words. The critical word for ministry is come because we help people come to Christ. But the critical word for mission is to go. We go for and in Christ. But both of those words that point to Christ. Christ is both our point of departure and our destination. And what's the impact of that? Well, there's the transformation. When we see ourselves as equipped, we can go to others. And in the process, we, along with others, experience transformation. When the man recognized the freedom that the chair gave him to connect with others, he saw himself as capable of going to new places and doing new things. One of my favorite scenes in that commercial is when he lays his cane down and begins to walk on his own. And that, to me, that's a pivotal moment of transformation. And when we recognize that our freedom comes from Christ, we are capable and called to go out into the world. And I wanted to share with you just kind of a real life story that I know about Ray Kroc. And it's not really Ray Kroc's story, it's really his wife's story, Joan Kroc. And she is, um, sometimes people call her Saint Joan of the Arches, because if you know the Kroc story, you know that they were the founders of the McDonald's Corporation. But there's this story about when Ray Kroc, or when Ray Kroc had passed away, 
Leonard Sweet tells a story about how he was doing some work with the Salvation Army. And when he went to meet with them, he requested this meeting with their, um, with their head officer, whose name was Linda Bond, no relationship to the Linda Bond we might know. Um, and he had a question he wanted to ask. And so over dinner, he asked about this gift that Joan Crock had given to the Salvation Army. Um, Joan Crock had given a gift of about $2 billion, and it was the largest gift in the history of the Salvation Army. And the head of the Salvation Army replied, well, she gave actually $1.6 billion, but with interest it accrued to $2.2 billion. And Leonard said, I know, but why would she give over 90% of her estate to a single institution? Why would she trust you with it? And the lady went on to explain what she found out when Joan Crock found out that she was the 13th child of a coal miner in Nova Scotia. She felt a kinship to her. She said, Linda Bond's mother was an illegitimate child of a maid and a British lord. She was adopted and taken to Canada at 13, and she became their youngest child. And so Leonard Sweet asked, well, why did that make a difference to her? Because rich girls, he said, don't marry poor boys and vice versa. And Linda Bond corrected him very quickly and said, oh no, Joan was definitely an exception to this rule that you have offered up. She came from very humble beginnings. She grew up in a bad section of St. Paul during the Depression. And her father was typically out of work and often left the family without food, without money, and without his presence. They often went without knowing where their next meal would come from or without heat in their home. Didn't know, they didn't know how they were going to make it through the week. But one thing that always happened is that on every Friday, a Salvation Army worker would come to their house with bags of groceries. And he said, well, they didn't have to go to the Salvation Army to get food. And she said, no, this worker made an exception and came to them. And he would come into the apartment and he would put food on the table and then he would play with Joan. And he made such a positive impact in her life as a positive male figure. So in reality, he is the one who is responsible for why Joan Crock gave this large gift. And so Leonard Sweet said, well, does anyone know his name or if he's still alive? And Linda Bond said, no, I don't think so. Um, we think that he probably died without even knowing the impact that he had on her life, of the impact of what going the second mile meant to her. And when I heard the story, I kept thinking, well, he was bringing the church to her, to her and her family, because he brought food, he built relationship, and he shared Christ's love. He was being the church. And like that Salvation Army worker, we may never know the fruit of the seeds we sow, but it doesn't matter. We just have to do what God has called us to do, to trust God, to take what we've planted and to bring in a heart to bring in the harvest, maybe decades or generations later. So, what are our opportunities for today? We're at a place in history unlike any we have ever known. The church has a unique opportunity now. We as Christians have a unique opportunity. Over the weeks, we've not been able to gather with one another, but that didn't mean that the church was closed, because the church, the church is wherever the story of Jesus Christ is told. And the story is not reserved for a building, but is to be told in all the places that we find ourselves. And so I think that the opportunity now is that the pandemic is asking us to draw from our past as we move into the future. In the early church, 
They met in homes and small groups. They were intergenerational. And I think this is an opportunity to gather again in small groups, to build those relationships, to pray, to build relationships across generations, to be fed and sustained. I know some of you are becoming pen pals with some of our children, and we are so excited for them to be able to talk with someone who is from a different generation than them. In the early church, they, people lived out their faith where people really saw them and were inspired by them. We're doing that some with the way that we're serving meals right now and serving in our community, but we're called to live out our faith in outward and tangible ways each and every day so others can see and are inspired. In the early church, they worshiped together and shared faith so that others came to faith. And we are gonna to continue to do that, to continue to respond to the invitation to come and then to go to the places where others need to experience hope and grace. And the early church innovated and stood apart from others. And today, we're called to innovate in order to continue to share the good news with those who just showed up and those who will continue to show up. So once in motion, Carrie Niehoff, who's a pastor at a church called Connection Church and a Christian writer, wrote in an article the couple of weeks ago that when you consider what has been set in motion over the past couple of months, from working at home, the rush to di digital, a damaged economy, increased unemployment, instability of industries, and the virus, to think that life is simply going to go back to the way it was is most likely not a good bet. We have to think about how do we go back to what we know as well as how do we move forward. And so I went to Wesley to come on as I thought about that, because Wesley's theology was what I call a conjunctive theology. It's also what Theodore Runyon calls a conjunctive theology. It holds differing thoughts together in creative tension. So it reminds us that Jesus is both fully human and fully God, that the kingdom of God is already here and not yet, that God is seeking and sending, that grace is provenient, justifying, and sanctifying. We remember when we look at Wesley that he preached not only in pulpits, but in fields, and that God shaped the church to be both missional and attractional. So out in the fields and in the pulpits. And that when instructing people of other religions, Methodism believes, or Wesleyan's theology believes, that we both express openness and conviction for our beliefs. So our challenge for today is to think about how do we move the chair in order to start something new for Christ wherever people gather. Also, to learn from the early church and harness the lessons for the 21st century and beyond. Take some time and read through the book of Acts and think about how their experience translates to our lives today. To embrace Wesley's conjunctive theology and establish both robust and meaningful in-person ministries as well as digital ones and ones that are beyond the walls so that we can go to those who cannot or who are not ready to come. And I think that's one of the beauties I've seen kind of grow out of this experience is I've heard so many people say, I have been able to come to church, to Sunday school, to different groups that I couldn't go to before because I can't get out of the house, but now I'm connected. And then the final challenge is to grow in our understanding of what it means to come and to go in and for Christ. I think all of these things are just vitally important to our lives. And I hope that this will give you some food for thought this week as you are 
going through your week and kind of guide you in your thoughts. And before I close, I'd like to pray for us. Can I do that? Let's pray. Lord God, we know that you call us to you. You say, come, come and be healed, come and be fed, come and be loved and be sheltered. Lord, we also know that because you have told us to come, you have also sent us out. You've told us to go to the world, to the ends of the earth, to share the good news. And so, Lord, please, in these days, help us to imagine what are the ways that you're calling us now to go to the ends of the earth, to go to the people who do not know you now. Where where are the ways that we can go and make a difference, maybe for generations, that we may not see the fruit of today, but that will cause transformation to take place because someone met you during that time. Lord, we thank you for the ability to get together through technology and through Zoom, to be a community to pray and to be fed and sustained and help us as we do this to remember that this is church because we are the people of God. We are your children and we are the church. It's not a building or a place, but it's the people who are in relationship with you and with each other. Help us to continue to be encouraged during this time. Keep us safe. Keep us mindful of those who are hurting and be with those workers who are protecting us in all that we do. Lord, we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank y'all. Thank you, Melissa. Very timely lesson and very, very well done. We appreciate it. I'm so in awe of all of you that can do all of these PowerPoints and all on this. I'm just pleased as punch. I can get in on a Zoom meeting. I'm, <laughs> I feel very... If it makes you feel better, <laughs> I'm going to do this this week. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm, I'm an old dog and you can't teach old dogs new tricks. So I don't know. <laughs> I was a Zoom meeting yesterday and I was so proud of myself, but we'll see if it works or not. Thank you so much. It was... We, I loved your lesson. Very, very well done and very timely. Thank you. Um, also, um, this week at church, during the, uh, the meals um, that you come by and pick up, Bonnie White's going to be playing, and plus the Ewall Band will be playing a couple of days. So you can come up and pull up and just listen to some good music and get some food from the uh, the kitchen that Jacob's nice. prepared so beautifully. And... Uh, this the quote of the week. I think I've done this before, but I don't remember. So therefore you won't either. So here it is again. <laughs> <laughs> you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. C.S. Lewis. Love you guys. Miss seeing you in person and hugging you. Have a great week.